What's up, everybody? This is Carleon Wilson, your Section 2 hyphen coordinator, and this is a brand new episode of our hyphen podcast. We thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Uh, can everybody hear? Okay. Cool. Well, uh, let's get right into it, uh, Pastor. Uh, for for those of you who don't know, this is really awkward because he's my pastor. Uh, but I may or may not know the answers to uh, these questions. Um, how many excited for what you're about to hear today? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> All right. So in 30 to 40 seconds, can you give... Uh, give us a snapshot uh, of your life. Uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Hey, Hyphen. Good to see everybody. How many happy to be back? I'm Pastor David McGovern, pastor of the Angeles Church in L.A. And uh, the snapshot is, uh, if you look over there, you'll see, um, you'll see five women. That's a snapshot of my life. I got a wife and four girls. And... Uh, they're all right there. I'm so happy they're here with us today. And um, called to be a church planner. I'm a metro missionary to L.A. That's the city of my, my heart, my burden, my calling. Um, born and raised there. Uh, grew up in a great church in the L.A. region. And uh, as a young person, uh, God uh, poured his spirit out on my life and called me to L.A. And uh, we planted a church uh, about seven and a half, eight years ago. And uh, we're there. God is pouring out his spirit. And we're just excited about everything God is doing in the L.A. Metro. Amen. Okay, so obviously, you know, we had the toughest year. You know, one of the toughest years uh, collectively, uh, maybe in a while, maybe uh, ever. Definitely the most unique. Uh, We've had a lot of discussions about this of late, and you know, at Angelus Church even you uh, doing a series and, you know, preaching about this kind of stuff. So if you would, give us some steps, you know, speak to us, hyphen, about how do we move forward um, from where we are, you know, uh, maybe discuss how to get out of uh, the lull of just the familiarity. Um, You know, we've had this status for for quite some time, and now things are wide open. So how would you advise us to move forward? Yeah, I believe that. God did not cause necessarily COVID, but I do believe that God uh, desired to use it, still desires to use what happened in the events that transpired in our world the last 15 months or so, 16 months. And, um, and, and, and I've come to the place now where I look at this and very thankful for what God has done uh, because what God, I believe, has done is disrupted our, our normative paradigm. God has disrupted the stuff that was normal, that we considered normal. And how many of you heard this throughout the last year and a half-ish? Can't wait to get back to normal. Well, when things get back to normal, and I believe that perhaps the reason why uh, some of this was prolonged is because maybe God was like, let's root that out. So let's keep you going through this for a little while longer so so we can kind of root that idea of, just getting back to normal because here's what i know about normal normal is broken and and normal is is unhealthy uh normal is not of god the normalcy that existed in the world before covid the normalcy let's forget the world that existed within the church before covid was not was not healthy in a lot of ways and god was disrupting us to kind of shake our norms a little bit to challenge us a little bit, to get us uncomfortable a little, get, a little bit, to get us to rely on him uh, a little more than maybe we ever have. And, and so uh, my just imperative to this generation is don't rush back to normal. Don't slip back into the old rhythms. Don't slip back into the old patterns. It's easy to slide back. That's why it's called backsliding. You know, i never seen anybody fall into holiness it doesn't just happen you don't just one day wake up and be like I don't don't know what happened I just woke up and I'm holy you know I've never seen anybody fall into a calling you know you don't just wake up one day and be like well here it is I'm anointed 
I don't know how it happened. I just kind of, but, but we fall back and we slip back in, into a lot of things that if we're not careful, we can just, wow, how did that happen? Well, that happened because it's easy. It's, it's the paradigm. It's the norm. But God's trying to stir that. God's trying to shake that up in this generation to say, this is the generation on whom the ends of the earth. This is the rapture generation. I believe that. I believe this is a generation that's going to see the return of God. And because of that, we can't afford to do church as normal. We can't afford to do life as normal. We can't afford to just do things the way we've always done them. God is trying to stir us and shake us up. So I challenge each and every one of us today to not be so, to not be so addicted to normal, to not be in such a hurry to slip back into the old way of doing things. But let God speak to you in this season. Ask God, what are you, what are you trying to say to me? Where are you trying to take me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach the church? What are you trying to teach this generation? Uh, what's, what elevation are you trying to take us up to? Uh, because the last thing we need to do is just try to rush back into normal and just to get back for no other reason than that's just what we know and that's what we're comfortable doing. How many know today that God is trying to do a new thing in this generation? That God desires to pour his spirit out upon all flesh in this generation. That God desires to fulfill biblical prophecy through this generation. That you are not called merely to experience it and merely to witness it, but you are catalysts and you are conduits for prophecy. It's going to be fulfilled through the work of your hands. And when you open your mouth and you allow the apostolic anointing that is upon you and you begin to operate in your city, and you begin to operate in your school and in your college. You don't have to be afraid of the culture in this world. And you, you just let the anointing speak through you. But don't, you can't do that when we're normal. Because normal was, well, let's just go through the motions and let's just kind of get through it and make it and survive. And as long as we can make it to Sunday and get our shout on, then everything's all right. You know, and then we'll just go through the motions the rest of the week. That's normal. But that's, I think, one of the things that God's trying to root out in this generation. So I challenge us, let's not get back to normal. Amen. But let God do what God wants to do. Amen. Praise God. Um, the world defines success in many ways. How would you define it? Um, to me, success is not a definition, really. And success is not even a destination. Success to me is a direction. Um, are you moving in the right direction in your life? That's success for a child of God. Are you moving in the right direction? And are you becoming a disciple? So this is less to me about defining a thing or, or affixing a destination to a thing, but this is about identifying which direction that I need to be pointed in my life. Which way am I walking? Which way am I going? Uh, I heard this quote a while back stuck with me. Successful, just if we're going to use the word success, successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. So what's your direction look like? And what are you doing consistently in your life that others are only doing occasionally? Because you probably have friends that through this pandemic, maybe they're not, they should be here right now, but they're not. Because they weren't doing the things consistently they, they were only doing occasionally the things that they should have been doing consistently. And so what, what direction are you headed? I look at people's direction. I don't, I don't necessarily identify destinations with people, but what is the direction you're headed in? I will work with somebody who's headed in the right direction over somebody who think they've arrived at their destination and they don't need any work. I'm just saying, you know, get, give me a rank sinner who is stumbling towards Christ over a lifelong, lifelong apostolic that's inching toward the world because they think they've arrived and they think they've got it all figured out. Give me some hungry people that are willing to move in the right direction, even if their movement in that direction looks a little bit like a stumble and, and it, it, they don't have it all figured out. To me, that's success. But this idea that we can arrive at some destination and we're set and we're good, that's an idea that has long tried to pervade its way into the church. This is where we get Calvinism from. 
This is where we get this idea of, of, of once saved, always saved. This idea that if we just hit enough metrics and have enough successes, then we've arrived and we've become successful. Uh, and, and, and when we get to that point, we stop growing. And we stop, we're, we're no longer hungry. And that's where we start justifying some things. And that's why we start, you know, a di- start fixing doctrine to things that should not be doctrine. Calvinism is a false doctrine. The, the idea of once saved, always saved, or there's some destination. This is about direction. Young person, hyphen, this is about direction. I don't care how many generations you've been in this. This is about your direction. And if you're not moving in the right direction, you've lost it. That's not success. It doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter who your grandfather is. You've got to keep moving, and you've got to keep walking, and you've got to keep progressing in the right direction, and you can see success. Uh, but to me, ultimate success, this thing isn't over till we're dancing on streaks of gold. Amen. So we get to see some successes along the journey, but you better make sure you're walking in the right direction, moving in the right direction, praying in the right direction, living in the right direction. Amen. I, I got to save the preaching for later. <laughs> like, like, love, share. That was phenomenal. Um, how old were you um, when you felt the call to ministry? If I can even say felt the call, you can you can better define that. Um, would you say you experienced like a monumental moment or was it a series of events or more progressive? I think for the, the initial call, it was a moment. I, was, I can remember I could take you to the place. And I, I, I had the privilege of growing up in church. Um, my family came to God when I was about two years old. So I grew up in church and I'm so thankful for that experience. Um, I grew up in a very dynamic church. I grew up in a church uh, pastored by a church planter, planted seven churches. He was a pioneer of the apostolic faith on the western side of the states, planted churches in Arizona and California. And I grew up in that environment and in that atmosphere, and it was like nearly impossible to be a young person in a church like that and not hear the call of God on your life. That's all my pastor preached about, really, was you know, answering the call of God and, and being in the will of God. And I remember as a young person, I was seven years old, I had a dream. I had a dream that I was on the mission field. But the unique thing about this dream was that there, it was so multicultural. There were, there were people from every, every place imaginable, every, every ethnic group, every uh, culture, every language group you can imagine was, was together. And we were worshiping together, and I was called to that mission field. And for the longest time, I thought that was a global mission field. Back in the day, we used to call it foreign missions, you know, and I, I thought I would be a foreign missionary. And, um, and so I, I, I started praying about it when I got a little older as a teenager, and I started talking to my pastor about it, and, um, and, 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 and so we started praying about it. And then there was a, a youth service when I was about 17, maybe, I think I was 17 years old, uh, a preacher named Kelly Ventura. I don't know if anybody remembers Brother Ventura from back in the day, but he was preaching, and he singled me out in the middle of this youth conference. And it was, you know, you know how that goes. That was awkward and all that. But, but he, he singled me out, and he said, You've, you have... God showed you a dream, and you thought it's one way, but you need to open your mind and your heart to what God really wants to do in your life. And so I prayed about that some more, and I processed that some more, and I talked to my pastor some more. And what it come to find out is we were called to be missionaries. We were called to, uh, to, to missions work, but it wasn't foreign or global. Really, no, I take that back. It was global, but I didn't have to go overseas. Because I was being called to my city, to L.A., which made sense when I thought about the dream, when I saw the whole world in one place. That's L.A. And so for me, it was a, it was a moment, but then there was a process. There was a process because, uh, and, and I think there's more questions about this, but let me just share this with you really quick. Anytime you hear the voice of God, there's a process. Remember, this is not a destination, it's a direction. So Samuel heard the voice of God, right? This is like every time you see the voice of God, hear the voice of God through Scripture, look for the pattern. God works in patterns. God works in patterns. I don't have time to get into all of this, but just, I mean, go back to the tabernacle. Go back to Genesis. Go back to creation and go all the way through. You'll find patterns. God works in patterns. Numbers are a big thing to God. Patterns are a big thing to God. And so uh, there's a pattern to, to when you hear the voice of God. Right, so Samuel hears the voice of God, but three things were present. Samuel was in the house of God. Okay, the Bible says, in fact, he was planted in the temple. 
Samuel was planted in. Now, I'm not saying you need to go home and you need to like move into the baptistry or move into the choir room or, but you need to be planted in the house of God. I get a little leery young people who will miss church for anything and then come say they heard from God. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, maybe just a little bit. But I, I, I get a little leery of young people that say, Pastor, I heard from God. Well, that's interesting because I haven't heard from you in like four weeks, five weeks. I mean, you missed like six out of the last nine Sundays to go, you know, whatever, hang out at the beach or flip burgers or whatever. And all of a sudden you're hearing from God. It doesn't work. There's a pattern to this. Samuel was planted in the church. He was in the temple 24-7. Now, again, I'm not saying go move in, but I am saying your pastor probably wouldn't like that. But I am saying be planted in the church. Be there. Be there whenever, whenever you can. It doesn't matter if it's, well, it's, it's, a, it's a Sunday school thing. Well, show up. You're a young adult. Show up. Sweep a floor. Do something. Be in the church. Be in the church. That was the first thing. The second thing was the Bible says that where Samuel was laying in the house of God, remember, planted in the church, he was next to the ark of God. So the, the ark always signifies the presence of God. So Samuel was in the presence of God. He didn't just show up to church. He was a worshiper. He was in the presence of God. He wasn't satisfied with just checking attendance boxes. He was in the presence of God. I, I, I get leery as well from young people that, that, that aren't worshipers but want to hear from God. you got to be in the presence of God. That's when God's going to speak to you. And then the third thing that was present was that the Bible says, and this is 1 Samuel, I think, chapter 3, that Samuel was in the house of God. He was laying in the house of God next to the ark of God. And then the Bible says where the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So the lamp of God always signifies the what? The word, the light, the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a, a light unto my path, right? So the lamp of God is indicative of the word of God. So there were three things that were present in Samuel's life in order for him to truly hear the voice. So you say, well, I, I hear things, and I, I don't know if it's God or if it's, if it's the taco truck or, you know, if it's vessel coffee. I, I don't know what it is. What am I hearing, right? Well, here's how you filter this. Are you planted in the church? Are you in the presence of God? And is the lamp of God, the word of God, alive in your life? The Bible says that the lamp of God had not gone out. In other words, he had not turned down the volume of the word of God. And, and we do this in this generation. We love church. We love to worship. We love to shout. We love to, you know, the preaching, the shout and dance and conferences and all this. But if we're not careful, we can turn down the volume of the word of God in our life. The word of God in your life is going to come to you through a pastor. It's going to come to you through your own study. So you can't get this if all you ever do is come to a conference or all you ever do is show up on Sunday and clap and cry a few tears, the lamp of God, the, the word of God has got to be alive in your life. You've got to be submitted to the word of God. You've got to be submitted to your pastor. That means when your pastor gets up and he preaches the same message six weeks in a row with a different title, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, I wish it was Brother Landon Gore preaching, or I wish it was, you know, Josh Herring, or my favorite evangelist, but it's, but my pastor's been getting up, and he's been preaching holiness. The lamp of God had not gone out. So when you're planted in the church, when you are in the presence of God, and when you, when you have an open conduit, when you have an open pathway for the word to come in, that's when you hear the voice of God. And I always tell young people that claim that they hear from God will go through that filtering process. And if one of those three or two of those three or three of those three things are not present, the odds are very strong that was not the voice of God. That was your opinion. Uh, that was a good idea that you had. That was inspiration. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if you're not filtering that through the word of God, then you're going to make a decision out of, out of something that was not a directive from God. And then the last thing that Samuel did is when he heard the voice of God, 
he went to his pastor. The first thing he did when he heard the voice of God, he jumped up and he ran to Eli. Because he knew that even though Eli was older and even though Eli was from a different generation, Eli knew what to do with the voice of God. And even when Samuel didn't agree with what Eli told him to do. Because how many know that Samuel heard the voice of God, but Eli tried to be like, ah, oh, no, it's not. But, but Samuel submitted to that because Samuel said, that's my man of God. And a lot of times you're going to hear, you're going you're gonna to be in the church, you're going to have the word of God, and you're going to worship, and you're going to be faithful, and God's going to speak to you. You're going to go to a pastor, and your pastor might tell you something that you don't like. But you need to understand that he is hearing from God on a different dimension than you are. Because he's walked with God for longer than you have, and he sees a, a little bit more of the panoramic view, perhaps, than maybe you're seeing at this particular juncture in your life. And if you'll submit to that, God will bless that. Three times Samuel went to his pastor, and Eli said, go lay down. Samuel probably didn't like that, let's be honest. He's a young man. He's ready to go. He's like, I've got everything going in my life, all the check marks. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the voice of God. Let's do this thing. And Eli's like, simmer down, Sam. Go lay down. And he's kind of, I kind of picture Samuel putting his head, just kind of, okay, he goes lay down. And then God speaks to him again. But the Bible says the fourth and final time that God called Samuel, if you read it, the Bible says that God came close. He came near. I think there's a nearness to God that happens when you submit. Because there's a lot of people in this generation that know how to come to church and know how to clap their hands and know how to, they can stand on their feet and clap with an evangelist. But when pastor comes in and, and corrects, or challenges or confronts, we have a hard time with that. But that's where the nearness of God comes in. So um, what uh, spiritual or personal struggles uh, that you're comfortable with um, that you went through as a young adult, uh, how, how, do, uh, how do we navigate through that, you know, or, or better, how did you overcome that? And if you can kind of share and direct us through uh, perhaps the many struggles that we can relate to that you had. Well, I come from a, a very dysfunctional family, as, as I would imagine some of you, many of you do. And so I think the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome was, was a lot of doubt that I dealt with that was rooted in my worth, my sense of, of worth that I had to just overcome uh, because my dad was not in church and and my dad is a mess and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, I, and I always kind of struggled with that. I wrestled with that. And for me, that was not, although the enemy would use that as a spiritual attack, of course, the enemy will use anything. How many know that the enemy will use anything in, that he can to, to uh, try to defeat you, come against you, and to derail the, wor the will of God uh, that is on your life? Um, but for me, it wasn't so much a spiritual attack. Um, for me, it was more of an attack of the mind. And what I discovered is that we're really good in church about talking about two components of holiness. Inward holiness, and how many know that that's essential? Because Jesus looked at a bunch of people that had all the rules down, and he's like, guys, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you look good on the outside, but... Uh, on the inside, you're like whited sepulchers, you're, you're graves, you're full of dead men's bones, and that's not the kingdom. And then you had others that, that they, they thought they were good on the inside, and they did good works, and they thought their hearts were pure, but, but on the outside, they, they didn't have outward holiness. And so you, you have two components of holiness that we deal with a lot in church, and we should, inward holiness and outward holiness, and I, I thank God that we are strong in both of those areas, by and large, as an apostolic movement, amen, that we are a holiness movement, I'm very thankful, for, because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, but how many know today that holiness is not a set of rules and regulations, amen, holiness is just not that, but it, it's all-encompassing, and there's an arena of holiness that we don't often consider, and that's upward holiness, and, and the way I would look at that is when Peter uh, is, is writing to the church in Rome, okay? And you have to understand that they are going through intense persecution. They, they are living in the era of Nero. And if you don't know who Nero is, you need to brush up on history and you need to understand who our brothers and sisters in Christ are that came before us. 
and the sacrifices that they made so that we can freely worship God today. Because read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read uh, some Roman history. Nero was a despot. Nero was just depraved. The stories, I won't, I won't, I won't uh, go into in, in depth, but just understand the level of persecution that the church in Rome was under. Historians believe that Nero burned down a third of Rome, the largest city in the world, at that time, and, and, and historians believe he burned down one-third of Rome just to blame the Christians, just to intensify the persecution against them. Nero was known for having parties in his, in his massive uh, residence, and he would burn Christians alive to illuminate the hallways while they reveled, and, and, and he was a despot, and, and he was intensely persecuting the church in Rome. And, and, and Peter writes to them, and he says, um, he doesn't coddle them, and, and I want you to understand that. He, d- he doesn't say, guys, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Let me give you a hug. <laughs> it, and I, I believe there's a time and place for that, and I, I, I think empathy has, it's, has, has a place in, in our dealings one to another. Amen. We should, be, we should be empathetic toward each other's trials and tribulations and struggles. But here's the thing. If we're not careful in today's world, we place so much emphasis on feelings. And when you read, now we have a high priest, and praise God for a high priest who's touched by our infirmities, and he's not removed from our feelings. But Peter writes here in, in, in First and Second Peter, and he's writing to this church in Rome, and he says, gird up the loins of your mind. And you, that might seem callous. That might seem, but he was dealing with upward holiness because Peter understood that how you view what you go through shapes everything that you believe about God. See, there's a difference between doctrine and theology. People have theology degrees hanging on their wall. It, that's really not an accurate way to, to say that. It's just really not because theology is personal. Theology is two Greek words in one. It's theos, ology. Theos means God, and ology means sight. Sight of God. That's your theology. Now, we are unified in doctrine. Praise God. By, I mean, there, there's no, I have no doubt in my mind that every one of your pastors and every one of you that's a licensed minister in this room, we preach the same doctrine. We preach Acts 2.38. We preach the apostles' doctrine. We preach that there is one God. Amen. We, that's our doctrine. But our theologies differ because theology is personal. How I see God in my life is shaped by my context. And so here's the problem. That's okay. We have liberty for that. I can see the hand of God in my life work differently then how you see the hand of God work in your life. And that's okay. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. The problem is we get faulty theology when we have a warped view of what we go through in life. And we fail to see what God is doing and how God is doing it. And we take a, a, a victim approach, if you will, or we take a wounded approach, if, if you will, and we view everything that happens in our life as an affront against us. When God is trying to say, this is not about uh, you, but it, this is about me. And, and I am trying to produce something in you so that you can glorify me in these earthly bodies because we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have these treasures in earthen vessels. So how you view God, this is your your thought life. This is your thought life. And let me tell you something. This determines everything. You can can tell, listen, you can, I want you to do this with me. Somebody grab your nose. Wiggle it a little bit. Grab your ear, wiggle it a little bit. What just happened? You told yourself what to do. This tells me that you can make it to heaven. This flesh will do whatever I tell it to do. This tells me that you can be a prayer warrior. This tells me that you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This tells me that you can do whatever 
God calls you to do because this flesh has to do whatever you, the real you, your soul. There's a real you. This isn't the real you. This flesh that we get so consumed with and we get so messed up with and some of you spend a lot of money on this flesh and you buy all kinds of fancy creams and lotions for this flesh. and, 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 and It's just flesh. It's just flesh. We get so consumed. We're so wrapped up with this, this temporary stuff. Look at the world around us today. This is all we talk about is, is this temporary stuff. And I'm not saying it's not worth a conversation. But what I am saying is it's not the real you. The real you is, is, is your soul. And the real you is your mind. And this thing, gird up the loins of your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You've got to have holiness in your thought life. You've got to have holiness in your mental capacity. Because otherwise, you will not, you'll have a faulty view of the way that God works in your life. And any time you go through a painful situation, you'll take it out on God. And any time you go through something difficult, and, any, and you saw that, some of you saw that because, you, again, friends that should be here today that are not here, why? Because they had a warped view of what COVID was all about. Because they had the doctrine right, but their theology was faulty. And they couldn't see God. They couldn't see what God was trying to do. And when you dedicate this mind of yours to him, you know, I, I'm a proponent of mental health. You get healthy in your mind. I'm thankful for Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-filled people who are not afraid to deal with this. Because a lot of times we deal with this and we deal with this, but we never talk about this. Upward holiness. So, Get your inward holiness together. Get your outward holiness together. But I challenge this generation to have holiness of your thought life. Amen. Gird up the loins of your mind. And when you go through a trial and you go through something that's difficult, you go through, be careful. Protect the way that you view the hand of God in your life. So uh, us hyphens are involved with a lot of ministry. Um, I won't do a poll or anything, but there's youth pastors here. There's ushers. uh, There's kids ministers, Bible study teachers, uh, all those things. Hyphen does a lot of ministry. At the same time, uh, being in this age group um, can sort of feel like an undefined space as well. I'm kind of flipping the flow of the question just a little bit. How would you advise a hyphen minister? who's not always going to be uh, in this area of life. You're not always going to be a hyphen. So how do you advise us as we're in this space now? I would, I would advise you to be open to, to the call of God and the voice of God in your life to pivot and not get locked in to one thing. This is a season of your life right now where some things are going to be fluid, and this is okay. And I, you need to understand that it's okay. Uh, and, you know, comparison is, is a thief. It's a thief of many things. It's a thief of joy. Ultimately, it can be a thief of your calling. You look at Saul. and the, the, he, he, David looked not to the left or the right, but Saul, the Bible says, could not keep his eyes off of David. And he started comparing himself. And they started singing about David, you know, Saul killing his thousands, but David killing his ten thousands. And Saul couldn't handle it. Because he was, he was comparing. And, and so Paul said it this way. He said, it's not wise. Paul, that was Paul's nice way of saying it. And, you know, in other words, it's, it's dumb, you know, to, to compare one to another. Be careful what you get yourself locked into because you're playing the comparison game. God might be trying to usher in a transition in your life. This is what I love about the season. And I'm thankful for the season that God has brought us through as a church, it taught us to not be rigid. It taught us we've got to learn to, to be flexible. We've got to learn to pivot. We've got to learn to, to, to change gears at the, at the drop of a dime to, to be able to follow the Spirit. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. But I, my, my challenge to you is to work on this, on the, the real you, not, not to backtrack to the previous question, but to work on the real you, the soul, the, the, the part of you that's going to live on forever. And, and he that hath an ear, let him hear. You know, your soul has an ear. Your, your spirit has an ear. You can, 
you can hear what the Spirit is trying to say. Your, your natural ears won't hear it. If you do hear the audible voice of God, that is a supernatural phenomena. And I, I'm thankful for those that do hear the audible voice of God in an audible manner. Most people will never hear that. You realize that. Most people, it's the Spirit. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Be flexible. Learn to pivot. If God decides to wake you up in the middle of the night and change the direction of your life, embrace that. Because it won't always be as easy as it is to change course as it is right now. When you get older and you get locked in and you've got mortgage payments and you've got kids and let God speak to you now. Keep an ear keen to the spirit and, and follow God. So uh, you somewhat hit on it talking about Samuel, but if you can kind of rehash uh, a little bit, how do you discern or determine the will of God in your life? Well, again, the will of God will never contradict the word of God. It will never contradict the word of God. A lot of people will come and say, this is the will of God. This is what I feel the will of God is for my life, or this is what we feel. You know, it, this, this really feels like the will of God. It, it will never contradict the word of God. So anything that removes you, you know, it's amazing to me as a pastor how many people that I'll talk to, and I'm not, if, if you know me, you just got to know me that I, I'm not on an ego trip. Uh, I, don't, I don't need any accolades. But this is not about that. But it's amazing to me how many people will say, Pastor, we have decided to do this. Versus, Pastor, what do you think about this? This is not an ego thing. It, this, is, this is a word of God thing. And you, again, the will of God will never contradict the word of God. And every time you see the voice of God, you see spiritual authority attached to that. And you see wise counsel attached to that. So if you feel right now a certain direction is the will of God for your life, what I implore you to do is to humbly go to your spiritual authority in your life, your pastor and others, and approach them from the posture of, what do you think about this? And not from the posture of, this is what I think, or this is what I have decided. Let the spiritual guidance from spiritual authority come into your, to your mind first before you make a decision, before you already get things lined up and start letting your heart steer in a certain direction. Find out what the spiritual authority in your life thinks about this. This truly is a lost art in a lot of ways in this generation. And again, from the heart of a pastor today, understand this is not an egotistical thing that a pastor would ask. I know most of your pastors, and I don't know any of them to be egotistical men, but these are pastors who God says gives us pastors after his own heart. So your pastor has the heart of God for you that you don't have yet. And so you need to understand that. So approach this from a posture of what do you think? And understand that if it's an answer that you don't want to hear, that's the answer that God desires you to hear. And it's so good to hear a no. Embrace the no. I, I sometimes, if I feel something, I, I, will, I will hope for a no because I want to be corrected and I want to be I want to make sure this isn't just David McGovern this isn't just a good idea this needs to be a God idea amen amen I feel like a lot of these uh, questions are starting to bleed into each other and I do think that's a, a really good thing God is evidently trying to speak something here um, we live in a world where there's a lot of charismatic leaders uh, there's a lot of social media influencer I mean, if you have a follower or two, you can, you know, be a public figure uh, and all that. And uh, I hear, and yeah, I'm hating on some of you guys, but uh, no, um, 
I hear a lot of this coming out of you. I do, I do believe it's of God. But if you can talk about this, um, what is coming from you? What is the, the importance of godly influence? And if you can tie that into uh, who is the main influencer or who has influenced you, uh, perhaps in this season uh, in your life, uh, an actual person who's influenced you. Um, yeah, that's such a great question because we do live in an age where you have access to everything. And if you're not careful, act, just because you have access to it does not mean you should develop an appetite for it. And, and I, am, I am for resources. I am for online preaching. Uh, whether I'm for it or not is irrelevant at this point. We are in that age and in that day. We must be careful. I will tell you this. Who you unfollow is just as important as who you follow. And you need to pray, God, who do I need to unfollow? Can I just say this? You, you have every right, every right. This is your walk with God. This is your eternity. This is your anointing, not anybody else's. And you have every right to turn down the volume of voices and influences in your life that do not believe what you believe. And if you have friends and you have maybe leaders from a different uh, time in your life that have walked away from truth, can I say this? Adjustment is not judgment. A lot of people say, well, you know, uh, I, I changed or, yeah, I, I left the church, you know, and, and you, you, we, we're not as close as we used to be, and that's because you're judgmental. We're not going to be as close as we used to be if you leave the church. That's not my fault. I still love you. I'll still reach for you. I'll still be kind to you. You'll always have a friend here, and the doors will always be open to you. But if you decide to walk away from this, I've got to be about my father's business. You can't take this personally. I've got work to do. The hour's late. The day is short. I've got work to do. I pray that everybody in this room is, at, is in this room next year. But if you're not, don't take it personal. If you walk away from this truth, if you walk away from this life, and some of the other people in this room you're not as close to anymore, let me just explain what's going to happen. There's an adjustment that has to happen. It's not judgment. It's adjustment. And there's a massive difference. Nobody's judging you. We, we do have to make adjustments in our life to what we allow into our spirit. You know, I'm reminded of Rehoboam, and the Bible says that Rehoboam becomes king. And the, the elders in Rehoboam's life say, Rehoboam, you've got a great opportunity here. You can right the wrongs of previous generations. You know what you need to do. And the Bible says that then Rehoboam walked out of the council of his elders who pleaded with him to live justly and to walk uprightly and to rule as a holy king should rule. And the Bible says that he leaves his elders and he goes and he finds himself some buddies. And he sits down with them. And he's like, yeah, I know what, what they all said, but what do you guys think? And the Bible says that Rehoboam's friends said, your, your father was harsh, but you need to be harsher. Your father was wicked, but you need to be more wicked. You're, and the Bible says that Rehoboam forsook godly counsel, and he listened to the counsel of his friends, and a nation would be divided and ultimately fall, and Rehoboam would die an untimely death because he listened to voices that he should have been muting. You need to pray, God, who do I need to unfollow? Before you go follow anybody new, listen. Before you go follow anybody new, unfollow somebody old. It's like a to-do list, right? Before you add something on your to-do list, make a do-not list. Put something on the don't list so you have time for the right thing. You only have so much capacity. Make time for the right voices. Make room for the right voices. I went through a season in my life, and I'm just being honest here, where we were new to church planting, and there was a lot of voices in our ear. And I, I'm a reader. 
Um, I love to absorb information. And I, I, I had a big pile of books, and I, fought, I had probably several hundred church growth gurus and mega church pastors and, and you know, the, the celebrity pastors and all of that that I was following. And I'm, you know, listening to all of them, taking notes from all of them, and in a lot of ways, getting a lot of ideas from, from a lot of them. And inherently, is there anything necessarily wrong with some of that? I, I don't know. They, I, I believe that inspiration can come from a multitude of sources. Amen. I believe my pastor used to tell me this way. I'm sure your pastor says the same. Chew on the meat, spit out the bone. I mean, you don't have to swallow all of it, but there, there's, there's some that you can digest, right? And so, but I went through a season where I had so many different voices, and I just felt, you know what? I need to go through this, and I need to unfollow. And I pressed pause on reading any books that were not spirit-filled apostolic people. And I pressed pause on, on following and, and watching the tweets and the social posts from pastors who were not in this in this walk that I'm in and and again is that judgment no that's that's adjustment and in that season I, I felt God speak to us so clearly about who we are and who he was calling us to be and the direction that we needed to go there is nothing wrong with turning down the volume sometimes everybody say turn down the volume You know, the celebrity pastor that, you know, the, the five, the, you know, 90-second clip of his preaching that you're watching without full context. It sounds good on a soundbite, but that might not be what you need to be absorbing into your spirit right now while God's trying to mold some things in you and God's trying to curate some things in you. Uh, we'll we'll start to wrap it up with this. Um, this is definitely not going to be the last time. Um, but if this was your last opportunity, your last day, what would you say to this generation of apostolic hyphen? Stir up the gift. You know, that's what my pastor told me on his deathbed. He, he said, David, you've got to call a God on your life. Don't waste it. This is what Paul, Paul is, again, Nero. Paul knows that his execution is impending, and he's sitting in a Roman prison, and he knows that Nero's guards are coming for him at any minute, and he writes his very last letter. It's not placed last in Scripture, but 2 Timothy is the last thing that Paul ever wrote. And he spent this last letter preaching to his son in the gospel, and he says, Timothy, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. He says, it's already in you. You have everything you need. Can I tell a hyphen generation that's consumed with resources and consumed with tech and consumed with online and there's nothing wrong with those things but you have so many resources you don't even know what to do with them there are so many resources we're literally overwhelmed by the amount of resources we have we've prayed for this day for a long time right God, give us stuff. Give us what we need to have revival. Give us what we need to, you know, to grow the church. Give us what we need to reach this world. And God said, okay, here it is. And we weren't using it, so God said, here's COVID. Now you got to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Give us what we need. And God said, here's all the resources you need. Here's everything you need. We have everything that you, we don't need another book. You couldn't read every book that's written. Not even by apostolic authors. You can spend the rest of your life reading books by apostolic authors and never get around to all all of them. We don't need another book. I'm for books. We don't need another conference. I'm for conferences. I'm here today in the heat with a suit and tie on. I I didn't get the memo. I got the memo late. I thought this was suit and tie, but I might take the tie off. I don't know. We'll see. It's already on. I like the way it looks. Praise God. (laughs) We don't need another conference. I I mean, guys, I mean, we're filling football stadiums. I mean, we outgrew arenas and we outgrew basketball centers. Now, now we're, we're, we're filling football stadiums. And they're talking about we don't know where to go from here. And we're still talking about what do we need? What do we need? We don't need anything. We have everything that we need to turn this world upside down, to live the life that God has called us to live. We don't need more tech. We don't need a better this or a better that. They're nice to have. I'm for resources. We try to do things with excellence in our church. I'm for that. But we're still asking questions like, what do we need? So then the question must become, if if it's no longer about what do we need, the question has to become, what do we love? What do we really, really love? Do we really love the kingdom? 
And I mean, do we love the kingdom with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul? And are we willing to seek first the kingdom before we seek a career, before we seek finances, before we seek a bigger house, before we seek a bride or a husband? Are we willing to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because that's what we need. We have what we need. So Paul says, Timothy, you have everything you need. He said, Timothy, you have it in you. He said, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's in, it's in you, Timothy. What you need, you have. We've all been given a measure of faith. How many know that? How many know it's not about the amount? It's about the activation. Some of you are still, you're still, you're still hung up on amounts. Well, I wish I had the faith that Brother Herring had. I wish I had the faith that my pastor had. We, each man's been given a measure of faith. That's not up to us. That's up to God. He determines the amount. It's not about the amount. It's about the activation. If you would activate the faith that is within you, it matters not the size. Faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, when it's activated, becomes alive and strong and big and powerful enough to move mountains into the sea. You've got to activate this. You've got to stir up this gift that is within you. Stir it up. And I love that word, stir. It's not complicated, that word stir. It's easy. Stir, I can stir. I don't need to know how to do much, but I can stir. My wife's a tremendous cook. I'm not. I don't know the recipes, but every once in a while she'll ask me to stir something. I can do that part. That's the easy part. God's not asking us to know the recipe. He's not asking us to know how long it's going to take. He's not asking us what needs to go in it, how hot the oven needs to be, what type of tools to use. God only asks us to stir up, stir it up, just stir it up. So go home and do something. Go home and be something. Go home and stir it. Just stir it. Pastor, what do we need? I'll do it. Is it nursery? Is it Sunday school? What do I need to do? I'll wash the van. I'll, I'll, I'll clean the toilet. I'd stir up the gift. Amen. Stir it up. Look at your neighbor and say, stir it up. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Can we lift our hands to heaven right now? Come on. It's been a long 14, 15 months, but God is moving on this generation right now. Lift your voice to heaven. God, stir it up. Stir it up. Come on. Stir it up. Stir up the gift. It's in you. It's in you. You have it. You have it. You don't need anything else. You don't need another tool, another resource, another book, another conference. You already have what you need. Stir, stir, stir. Can we uh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place and thank Pastor McGovern for sharing with us here today. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. For more encouraging messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out past episodes. If you like what you just heard, please consider rating and sharing it with your friends. God bless and don't forget to be a hyphen.